1 Corinthians chapter 9, this morning we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. Uh, These four verses are often taught. Uh, You've probably heard them taught before. Um, I want to make sure as we study, like we always do, we keep everything in context. Uh, So it's important when you study the scriptures, you realize why Paul's writing what he's writing, whether it be Paul or whoever else writing. We want to keep it in in the context so we know what's taking place. So I'm going to do a quick review of what we're doing or what we've come to so far. In chapter 8, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul addressed a problem or a question that was posed to him by the church there in Corinth. In doing so, he basically told them, and the question was, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Is it okay for us to buy discounted meat that's been sacrificed to idols and eat it? And there was an argument placed forward, and Paul basically came to the conclusion that said this, if eating meat that's sacrificed to idols is going to cause your brother or sister to stumble, then you shouldn't do it. Now, I realize that when I say that, your head goes, why are we even talking about meat sacrifice to idols? We don't have that in our country. But I want you to understand, no, we don't have that. We don't really do that. But the principle that Paul established there is something that we do face. And here's what it says. Just because you have the right to do something, just because you have the Christian liberty to do something, doesn't mean that you should exercise that right. Especially if it's going to cause someone else to stumble. So when it comes to an immature or a weaker believer, Paul would say it's better not to exercise that liberty or that right at all. As we moved into chapter 9, Paul wanted to prove to us that he was living what he was teaching. So he pointed to a personal example in his own life where he had a right to exercise a liberty, but yet he chose not to. And the liberty he pointed out to us last week is the fact that he had the right He had the liberty to be supported financially by the people that he was ministering to. That Paul had the right to to be able to have the church and the people there in Corinth support him financially as he ministered the gospel. But then Paul said to them, I have not exercised that right. I have not taken one dime from you guys because I don't want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be hindered. I don't want anybody to say, you're only doing this so that you can get money. So instead, Paul made the choice to go out and work in the workforce like all the people that he was ministering to. He was a tent maker, and he didn't want people to be able to say Paul was simply in it for the money. As we came to verses 19 through 23 in chapter 9, Paul told us what not exercising his Christian liberty had produced within him. He was willing to become all things to all people. To the Jews, he became Jewish. To the Gentiles, he became Gentiles. He didn't change or water down or dilute the gospel in any way, but he didn't want his lifestyle to affect the gospel message going forward. You see, that's the point that he was making. He didn't want to harm or he didn't want to hinder the gospel in any way. And if he had to give up some right that he had so that the gospel would not be hindered, he would certainly give that up. He never wanted his lifestyle to ever interfere with the gospel message And if that meant not exercising some of his personal liberties, so be it. As we pick up in verse 24, Paul is going to continue with the same question, the same thought. Christian liberty, meat sacrificed to idols. And he's going to say this, follow along as I read verse 24 down through 27, and then we'll come talk about it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize... Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. 
Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul gives us some practical insights into his life. We get a glimpse of how the Apostle Paul thinks, how he lives. In these short four verses, Paul's going to give us three insights, three very important insights. We're going to see the perspective he holds, the process he uses, and the purpose it fulfills. The perspective Paul holds on life, the process he uses to get there, and the purpose that it fulfills in his life. You see, he begins by asking a rhetorical question that everyone would know the answer to. He asks this, Don't you know that everybody who runs in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Of course we do, Paul. We've all seen a race before. We've watched the Olympics on TV. They get at the starting line. The gun goes off and everybody runs to try to get where? Across the finish line first. Of course everybody's running to win a prize. You see, this meant something to them too. Because in that day, that city, Corinth, it was home to the Ithmian Games, which was second of importance only to the Olympic Games. So they were very familiar with the athletic competitions that were going on. They understood that. And after asking this rhetorical question, I want you to notice the command that Paul gives them there. He says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. When Paul evaluates his life, he says it looks like a race. His Christian walk, he's comparing it to a race. It's the perspective Paul holds on life. It's a race that he's desiring to win. Have you ever been in a race? Life, our Christian life, our Christian walk, it's a long distance race, isn't it? It's not a sprint, it's not a short. You can't see the finish line of a long distance race, can you? When you line up for a marathon or an ultra marathon, you can't see where it's going to end. Yet you set manageable goals, manageable things you want to accomplish along the way. You cover one mile at a time, maybe even one step at a time. Although the ultimate goal is to cross the finish line first, you've got to manage and accomplish all of these smaller things to get to the final goal that you're trying to receive, to, to achieve. I remember not long after Rebecca and I were married, before we had kids, we went on vacation. We went out to Colorado, we went to Rocky Mountain National Park, and we did some amazing hiking out there. Highly recommended if you're into that kind of stuff. And on this one particular hike to a place called Halliot Peak, we had, to, we had to come up a mountain called Flat Top Mountain. We had to reach the top of Flat Top Mountain, and we had to go up another level to another peak. And as we got to the top of Flat Top Mountain, and the elevation was about 12,700 feet, somewhere in there, as we got near the top of Flat Top Mountain, we reached a bunch of switchbacks, you know, steep switchbacks, just went back and forth, back and forth. Well, we were in pretty good shape at that time, but the elevation was killing us. Because you get higher and higher and there's less oxygen. We're from Florida, remember. There was no elevation. Even the 3,000 feet that you might get here on, on Savage Mountain or Dan's, we didn't have that. We're from Florida. The elevation is like 12. Maybe 20 if you went to the dump where they piled all the stuff up. So we start walking. And we're going up the hill. And we're walking and we're walking. And I am just exhausted. And she is too. There came a point in that hike where I said, all right, all right, 10 more steps. And I would walk 10 to 15 steps, and I would stop, and I would take a break. I'd catch my breath for another 20 seconds, and I'd walk 10 or 15 more steps. Just every, every step was, like, was difficult. But when I got to the top, it was amazing. It was worth it. 
I had reached my goal. I had reached the point I was trying to reach. I finally got there. And we're met with the amazing views, the, the, the feeling of accomplishment, great satisfaction of achieving our goal. And this is what Paul's talking about. Paul's telling us that our Christian walk should look much like the training of an athlete who wants to win. There has to be a desire to win. Discipline, perseverance, the right perspective, and a chance or a desire to cross that finish line. Our life, it's like a race, is what he's saying. Not a sprint, but more like the marathon. And please don't make the mistake of looking at the person on your left or on your right and thinking they're the competition. Because they're not. In a long-distance race, do you know who the greatest competition that you ever have? It's yourself. It's yourself. It's your body. It's your flesh. Why? Because your body wants to quit. It's going, we need to go home and watch TV. This is ridiculous. Why are we out here? This is silly. So the competition that you're going to face, the greatest competition on this long-distance race of life called your Christian walk is going to be yourself. It's going to be literally be your flesh. Your flesh is what keeps you from training harder. Your flesh is what keeps you from eating right. Your flesh is what makes you want to quit and ask the question, why am I even doing this? Paul wants to share with us in these verses the process that he uses to run this race of life. Along with the desire to win, Paul also tells us there in verse 25, look what he says. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Everyone who's competing in this life to win is temperate in all things. Well, what does that word temperate mean? It means to exercise complete control over one's desires and actions, or simply to have self-control. Everyone who competes for the prize is self-controlled in all things. The New American Standard puts it this way. It says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. The New Living Translation says this, all athletes are disciplined in their training. An athlete who's in training may refuse to do lots of other things that other people are doing. Their diet will be controlled. They may get more sleep to make sure their body's ready to work. They'll control what they eat. They'll control the places they go. Why? Because they're trying to reach their goal. How hard does an Olympian train for the Olympics? Probably their whole life in many cases. Many cases they've moved away from home. They've gone to a special place. They've hired special coaches all to get a gold medal. And you can better believe that every time they start their event, whatever it might be, they are doing the best that they can do. That's what Paul says our Christian life should be. Our Christian walk should, should mimic that. We must be self-controlled or temperate in, notice he says, all things. Not just some things. Not just some things. You see, an athlete that's only self-controlled in exercise won't be as effective as one who's self-controlled in eating and exercise, will they? If one was to eat any way they wanted, their body wouldn't be properly fueled. They need the self-control in all things. So why should the Corinthian Christians keep from eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Back to our original point here. Because it will hinder their goal. It's going to get in the way of their goal. What was their goal? They want an eternal reward. They want to advance the gospel. And they don't want to stumble others. So if their goal is to move the gospel forward, if what they're eating is stumbling somebody else, then they should be able to exercise self-control, keep their Christian liberty contained. And say, I'm not going to do that. 
But why would they want to do such a thing? Look at verse 25 or towards the end of verse 25. Paul says they do it, meaning the athletes, to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. The athletes, they compete for what we'll call a perishable crown. If you won an event in that day, you won, one, you won your event, you would receive a laurel wreath to place upon your head. Not a gold medal like we have today. You would receive a wreath and you'd place it upon your head and everybody would know that you're the winner of your event. Over time, the leaves would eventually die and fall off and then somebody else faster or better or stronger would come along and replace you as the winner of that event. But for that season, for that moment in time, you're the best. You've got it. You, you are number one for that moment in time. But it's not long before you're dethroned, is it? I can remember watching Alabama win, I think it was, one of their, I think it was their first or second national championship game uh, after Nick Saban became coach, and they asked him this question. They said, how long are you going to enjoy the victory? You know what he said? 24 hours. 24 hours. You worked an entire year to enjoy it for 24 hours. Why? Because it was perishing. The minute the next season began, which was 24 hours later, work had to start to maintain that. That's the whole point. Paul's telling them they are striving for a perishable crown. It's going to fall apart. It's going to fall away. As Christians, we should be striving for our crown in eternity. It's imperishable. It's not going to fall away. We're not going to be be dethroned. Our prize is eternal. We don't have to live in the past Oh, back in the day I won this, or back in the day I won. It's going to remain with you eternally. We need to see ourselves in competition, not with each other, but against ourselves. You see, if you want to obtain that eternal crown, if you want to achieve those things for the Lord that are going to last, those things that will be eternal, we have to understand and we have to know what is it we're trying to accomplish. What's the goal? For an Olympian, the goal is the gold medal. And they will do anything they can to achieve that crown. But as Christians, what are we trying to accomplish? What are you trying to accomplish? You see, I know for me in my life, when I sum it all up, and I go, all right, at the end of my life, when I finally get to the end, whether it be next week, next month, or 25 years from now, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. And here's what I want to hear. And it comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. I want to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And here's the part I can't wait for. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, for me, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's going to look different in my life than it looks in your life. And I'm only going to accomplish that by setting goals along the way the Lord puts on my heart as I achieve them for him. Just like you do the same thing. But I have to know where I'm going. I have to understand where I'm going. But look what Paul says that we need to do in order to get there. Verse 26. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection. I want you to see Paul's mindset. And the discipline of his body. He says he doesn't run with uncertainty. Who would start a race and not know which way to go? It would be ridiculous. Everybody else is facing that way and you're facing that way. You're off course. You would, you would, it's, it's, it's foolish. He's not trying to figure out where he's going in the middle of the race. 
He knows the path. He knows the direction. He's not just swinging in the air hoping he'll hit something. Paul's laser focused on where he's going and certain of the path that he needs to be on to get him there. He's certain of it. I want to ask you these two questions. Ask them to yourself. What is the ultimate goal spiritually that you want to accomplish in your life? You see, there'll be employment goals and there'll be you know financial goals and you have all those kinds of goals but they're all going to come under the spiritual goal they're all going to come underneath the that ultimately spiritually where is it that you want to be when you end your life when they put that last date in your tombstone and they say this is where they made it to this is where they were born here's the dash in the middle and here's where it ends that dash what do you want it to say about yourself what what is the ultimate goal spiritually that you want to achieve have you ever given that consideration? Have you ever thought about it? If not, I would suggest that you do, because if you don't know what you want to achieve, how are you going to get there? If I don't know where I'm going, how could I possibly know if I'm even on the right path? See, that brings me to my next question. If you know what your goal is, ask yourself this, am I on the right path? Are the things that I'm doing in my life leading me to where I want to be spiritually? You see, if I don't know where I'm going or I don't know where I want to go, then I'm all over the place. If I know where I'm going, I have a goal. Am I living the choices and the decisions to get me to that goal? Too many people have a good spiritual goal, but they're on the wrong path. They're not doing the things. They're not going the places. They're not behaving the way they should be. Too many people are on that wrong path. If I'm walking north and you say, hey, where are you going? I say, I'm going to Disney World in Florida. You're going the wrong way. Well, yeah, but no, I'll get there eventually. No, it'd be much quicker if you turn around, look for 95, walk south. When you get to Orlando, make a, make a right and get there in Disney World. No, no, but I'm going my own way. I'll, I'll find it there. No, but you don't have to go up to New York where it's cold. and Go to Florida where it's warm. But that would be foolish, wouldn't it? For some people, and this shouldn't be the goal for a believer, but for some people, the goal is I want to be a millionaire in life. I want to make lots of money. I want to, I want to have lots of money. And oftentimes you'd look at them and go, why are you working at McDonald's? It's not, you're not, it's not going to get you to your goal. You're not going to be making, working as a fry cook and become a millionaire. Unless, of course, your goal is to own the company. Well, then maybe you could get there if you were going through the ranks. But if, you're, if, if that's your goal, if your goal is to be a millionaire and, you're, and your job is McDonald's for, for minimum wage, you're not going to get there. I, I, I'm sorry to tell you. Well, what do I do? You need to go get an education. You need to pick a different career. You need to start becoming disciplined in your body and how to get there. There's too many people that have this goal. I want to be a millionaire. And you know what their path is? I'm going to play the lottery. That's my goal. My goal is to be a millionaire. I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. As Christians, our goal, our focus needs to be eternal. And our path needs to be clear and spelled out. If we don't even know what path we're supposed to be on, how do you know when you're off the path? How do you know if you're even in the right direction? Paul was not running this race of life with uncertainty. He, neither should we. We should know where we're going and what is required to get there. In order to do this, it's going to require discipline. Let's look at what Paul says in verse 27. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Let me read it to you in another translation. The New Living Translation says this. I discipline my body like an athlete. Training it to do what it should. And my favorite translation for this verse, the New American Standard, says this. I discipline my body and make it my slave. 
I make my body my slave. The word discipline means to strike under the eye or to give a black eye. Paul didn't want his body lording over his entire being. When he talks about his body, he's talking about his flesh, his fleshly desires, the things that his body desires. The phrase bring it into subjection means to literally to lead about as a slave, to give it orders, to tell it what to do, to tell it how to behave. Paul made sure that his body was the servant and his inner man or his spirit was the master. The desires of his body were not going to rule over his entire self. I like the picture of Paul making his body a slave. I think we should think of our bodies, our flesh, as a slave. That will change the way you deal with your fleshly desires. You will begin telling your body what to do instead of your body telling you what to do. Is that the way we think today? No. For most of us, most people today, especially in our culture, we just do give our body whatever it wants. If it's hungry, we feed it. If it's thirsty, we give it water. If it wants this, whatever it wants, we give it. We, be, we become a slave to our flesh. When our body's craving something, we simply respond by giving it what it needs or what it wants, really, not what it needs. In our culture, we become slaves to our flesh. Now, we know that Romans talks about Paul freeing us from our flesh, but we find it so easy to give our body what it wants. From the medication it craves, to the sexual desires, to sugary foods, to drugs, and to alcohol. Whatever it is, whatever my body wants, I tend to give it. And somehow we're tricked into believing and thinking that's going to make us feel better. We'll, 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 we call it, sometimes we'll call it comfort food. Anybody like comfort food? You get stressed out, you get worried. I'm going to go have some comfort food. It makes me feel better, right? How long does it make you feel better? Well, if you eat too much of it, it's going to make you feel sick. And it's only going to make you feel better until the next time you're stressed out or until you get hungry again. It's not really comfort food. It's just we should be running to the Lord. We should be running to the Lord instead of, you know, a medication or, or whatever it is that we run to to appease our flesh. We should be fulfilling that with the Lord, not, not with just what our flesh has. In, Paul, in Paul's way of thinking, ask yourself this question. Is my body, is my flesh helping me or hindering me from accomplishing the ultimate goal or the purpose God has for my life? My body. Is it, is it slowing me down or is it helping me get to where God wants me to go, where God wants me to be? Is it helping me serve the Lord or is it kind of getting in the way of me serving the Lord? You see, that's what Paul's saying. That's what he's talking about when it comes to discipline. I believe that if you want to rid yourself of addictive behaviors and bad habits, first of all, establish your goal. Make it clear where you want to go and then check to make sure you're on the right path to get there. And take your body, bring it under control and tell it what you're going to do and how you're going to get there rather than just listening to your body telling you where it's going to go and what it's going to do. You see, we need to see our fleshly bodies not as things that we need to satisfy and appease, but as slaves or tools to help us accomplish the Lord's will in this life. Now I want to make a note real quick. The body itself is not evil. Paul's not saying that. After all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he told us it belonged to Jesus. Nor would we agree with those who punish their bodies in a quest for some kind of super holiness. And I bring this up because this is, really happens. And through the centuries, there's been groups of people that have uh, literally, they'd whip themselves, they'd beat themselves, they'd torture themselves in some misguided attempt to fulfill this verse. They would literally do this to their body in some way of joining in the sufferings with Christ. They would try to beat themselves. Usually these Christians thought they could pay for their sins through this self-torture and they refused to recognize that Jesus paid all of the penalty for their sins. 
So in some way, they had to destroy their bodies in this way. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul's talking about here is bringing our body under control and us leading our body instead of our body leading us in all things. Because sometimes I've seen it, you can look, if you take one person who could be overweight and out of shape, and say, oh, he's led by the flesh. But you can take the bodybuilder who looks to be in perfect shape and who's healthy, they're being led by the flesh too sometimes because their focus is only on their body. As Christians, our focus is on eternity. Our, Christian, our, our focus is on pleasing the Lord. And you might even be thinking this morning, what's the big deal? So what? It's, it's our, my body has needs. I want to give it what it needs. Why does it really matter? Look at the end of verse 27. Paul says, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul doesn't want to be disqualified. That's why he's treating his body the way that he is. What do you mean? To understand this verse, we need to remember the context. Paul's teaching the Corinthians that meat offered to idols, that they shouldn't eat it or to offend the weaker brothers. He's instructing them to refrain from using their Christian liberties that they have because it's harming others. But more importantly, he's saying it will hinder the message of the gospel. In other words, Paul's saying, if I enjoy my liberty to eat meat and I go try to minister to somebody who has been taken out of that and they're stumbled by it, then I am not effectively able to share the gospel with them because of the lifestyle that I'm living, even if I'm completely wrong. When Paul talks about being disqualified, he's not talking about losing his salvation. No, he's talking about people he is preaching to not wanting to hear his message because of his lifestyle. In other words, they look at his mess, they look at his lifestyle, and they go, I can't hear that message from you because of the way that you're living. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Let's say that you decide uh, first of the years coming up, you're going to get fit, you're going to join a gym, and you walk into your first aerobics class. And there's the aerobics instructor. There, there he or she is, extremely overweight. And they're in their little workout outfit. They say, I'm going to teach you how to get fit and be in shape. You're going to scratch your head and go, wait, 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 wait. You're, you're not fit and you're not in shape. No, no, but I'm going to teach you. I've been to college. I have the degrees. I, have the, I, I can teach you everything you need to know. Yeah, but you're not living what you're teaching. I, I can't learn from you. Why? They've become disqualified. They, they, don't, they don't see it. They don't make the connection. You're not living the lifestyle that you're teaching. You're not actually living it. So therefore, you must not really believe it. You're just trying to get me to pay my membership at the gym fee so, I can get, so you can get paid and you can go live your lifestyle you want to live. And you, wait, I'm being fooled here. See, that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to avoid. Paul says, I'm not fooling anybody with the gospel. Matter of fact, I'll give up anything. I'll do anything. And if something in my life is going to hinder the gospel, you can forget about it. When Paul was sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, he did not want to be disqualified. When Paul was sharing the gospel with the Jews, he did not, did not want to be disqualified. Paul was willing to give up whatever he had to so the gospel would go forth without being hindered by his lifestyle. Are you? Are you willing to give it up if the Lord calls you to? I want you to make sure you understand this. Anything, and I mean anything, that you are asked to give up here on earth pales in comparison to what you will receive in eternity. Anything that he asks you to give up here on this earth, anything that you look at your life, I got, I, the Lord doesn't want me doing that anymore. Whether it's sin or not, you will be rewarded for it in eternity. It pales in comparison. If an athlete can discipline their bodies so they can run a race or win a gold medal. They'll go to such great lengths to receive a perishable crown. The crown's perishable. Why can't Christians do the same thing for a crown that will never fade away? Why don't we go to those great lengths? 
We have it available to us. We have a crown that will never fade away. The answer is simple. We don't really believe it. We don't really understand it. We're not really sure of it. We're not, we're not convinced of it. We don't really believe our eternal crown is going to be greater than the very things that we're asked to sacrifice here on this earth. We're wrong. It will be. You see, when you receive an earthly crown, when you receive an accomplishment, well, let's, let's just say you win, the, you sign up for a race next weekend and you win, it's going to perish. And it's going to perish in two ways. It's going to perish in two ways. One, it's going to die, shrivel up, and end. And number two, it only lasts until the next person wins. It only lasts until the next person wins. How long are you going to enjoy your national championship? 24 hours. Why? Because that's when it's over, because next year starts in 24 hours. If I want to maintain it, I've got to keep going. You see, the perishable crowns, we will work tremendously for. You want to, you want to get your career, work your, work your tail off to get the position you want. You know how long it's going to last? Until the company downsizes. Or until somebody younger comes along that's cheaper, that they can afford more. How long do you think it will really last? It won't last forever. You could spend your entire life working on a career, and when that career ends and you retire, you are as far from their mind, they'll never think of you again. You mean nothing to that company. Nothing. All of you, even the friends at work don't even call you anymore. You're just gone. But as Christians, we have a, par- we have a, par- a crown that's imperishable. It will not perish that we have a chance to work for. The things that we do for eternity in this life matter. They make a difference. On the cross, Jesus defeated our greatest enemies, Satan and death. This becomes our greatest victory. We're, our, 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 the biggest thing that holds us up is our flesh, and yet the very flesh that caused us to sin, Jesus said, I'll take care of that for you. I got that. You're going to be forgiven. You don't have to listen to your flesh. I'm going to set you free from that body of flesh. Read Romans 5, 6, and 7 if you don't believe it. I'm going to set you free from that body of flesh so you can live according to what I'm asking you to do, and you can do things the way I'm asking you to do them. When we identify with Christ, we become his prize. He said, I went to, Christ went to the cross, and he went for you and me. Don't think for a moment that he goes, well, I'm just going to go die for everybody. He did, but he had you in mind. He had me in mind. He had us personally in mind. We also get to partake in his victory. Because just as he conquered death, and just as he conquered sin for us, it's not going to be held against us either. It's It's an amazing thing. It's so profound and so deep, yet so simple. All I have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll be forgiven for my sins. But that's not the beginning. That, that's not the end. That's the beginning. Because once I believe, I then get to walk with him for the rest of my life and see what he would like to accomplish. My story, most of you guys know because I stand up here every week and I share, share parts of it. You know that I was a police officer in Florida. I, was called, I got saved and, and I, he called me to be a pastor and we moved to Cumberland and started a church. You know all that stuff. We've, all, we've been through all that. that. That's my story. What's your story? What is it that he wants to accomplish in your life? When you get to the final end, whether it be next week or next month, what is it that you want to accomplish spiritually in your life? And are you on the path to get there? You see, he went to the cross so that you could accomplish what you were created for. And the only thing holding you back is yourself, is your flesh. It's because sometimes we won't tell our flesh no. 